welcome to another episode of the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every Tuesday I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two extraordinary moms look the same. We all have a story to tell, and we are all mothering in our own way. So let's celebrate that and learn from one another. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear, please share this show with a friend. Welcome to episode 214 of the podcast. I'm so glad you tuned in today. This is going to be an amazing episode because I'm speaking with someone today who I've heard from a lot of people. It's extraordinary, and after this conversation, you will see why too. Julie Barron is an extraordinary mom who has both supported her spouse through cancer and received a really tough diagnosis of her own while pregnant. She struggled with infertility and just her sense of perspective and positivity. She's truly an inspiration and that is why I wanted to have her on the show today. So let's just jump right into the call and here's my interview with Julie Barron. All right. I'm so thrilled to be chatting with Julie Barron today. Hey, Julie. Hi there. How are you? I'm so good. I'm thrilled to be talking with you. I've heard from a lot of your friends how incredible you are. So it's a pleasure to finally get to talk to you. Well, I have been a huge fan of your podcast for a long time. And, um, you know, I know so many lovely people in conjunction with you. So it's great to finally have a chance to meet you. Yes. Oh, this is exciting. Well, when I heard about your story, I was just blown away. And I recently spoke with Natalie Norton, who has experienced, you know, tragedies and traumas. And it just feel like, felt like she kept getting hit with things. And um, and yeah. she talked about the quota, the quota. Like, sure. is this? haven't I been through enough? And so when I heard your story, I kind of felt like the same thing. Like, seriously? Like another thing? And then you go a little further. See, again? You know, and so it's different things. And we'll get into that. But I just really appreciate your strength and your willingness to share and inspire others. So for people that don't Absolutely. currently know you, would you just give a little background on yourself? Certainly. Um, I am a wife um, to a wonderful man, a mom to three kiddos. I have Eleanor, who is five. Josephine, who will be for next month, and then a brand new little guy who is two months old today. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is Benedict, and we live in the Midwest. Um, right now, we live in Iowa City, Iowa, which is where my husband's family is from. Um, we've got an old curmudgeonly dog um, who's a <laughs> boxer named Foster, who we love, and um, I have you know a, a little business that I run for my home, and really enjoy just having the time to spend with my family and in pursuit of my passions right now, which has just been such a blessing. That's so awesome. I love that. I've never talked to anyone yeah. from Iowa, I don't think. You might be the first. No, it's a small state. You know, I feel <laughs> like people, you know, we actually had lived in Chicago for a long time before we moved here. And so it was a big change for us after a decade in a huge city to yeah. move to a smaller town. And it is a college town, which is nice. But I remember the reaction for most folks were like, oh, Iowa, that's mm. pretty rural, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like people... <laughs> You know, don't often know someone from Iowa. So now, speaking of quotas, now you've got someone in your Iowa quota. Yes, I color in a map for every guest. No, (laughs) I should though. That'd be interesting. Yes. Oh well, your story really truly starts before you got married when you were friends with your husband. uh, You know, about on the cusp of of dating. Will you tell about that time in your life? Sure, sure. So my husband Matthew and I. 
met our freshman year of college. We both attended the University of Michigan, and both of our programs were on the North Campus. He went to the engineering school, and I was in the art school, and so we were just on the same floor in our dorm, and um, for any University of Michigan grads out there, um, they know that like the north side of campus is kind of off by itself. So a lot of folks that live there just became really close friends, and those friendships really lasted over the years. And um, Matt and I just were part of that same friend group, and um, we had known each other a long time. And after college, we both found ourselves in Chicago. You know, it was a nearby big city. We both had jobs there, and just kind of reconnected there as friends. And we're spending some time together, and I will never forget um, sitting at my desk at work one day and getting a text message from him, and it just said, Jules, I just found out from my doctor that I have Hodgkin's lymphoma, mm-hmm. and, you know, we were 24 years old, and it just felt unbelievable. You know, I yeah. think you hear it more and more and more, but still you know you just think we're so young like this is impossible you're young and healthy and how does something like this happen and not to be too pejorative about it but like you kind of live in this bubble until something like that happens um that really opens your eyes to kind of the the possibilities of of what can happen in your life and so um you know he just really needed people to gather around him at that time and and I'm kind of a nurturer by nature and so you know as his friend I I really just kind of connected with him on a whole new level and because of the amount of treatment that he had and how rigorous it was he really couldn't do a lot when he was going through treatment he couldn't handle money he couldn't eat food really prepared by other people he couldn't be on public transportation or out and about and when you live in a big city like Chicago, that kind of eliminates almost everything, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the things you hear from people so much that are, you know, going through cancer treatment is they just want to feel like themselves. They want to feel normal mm-hmm. because so much of their life isn't normal. And so we really just did a lot to try to make his life feel normal. You know, like we would go on walks together or you know, we'd watch a movie or I would go to his house and make dinner or he'd come to my house and make dinner. And, you know, I just really, um, it was rewarding to be able to be there for him and serve him in that way as a friend, um, because there was so little I could do other than that, mm-hmm. you know? And so he, um, for, for those familiar, um, or that might be survivors themselves, he went through, um, a course of ABVD chemo and then also radiation and both were really hard and really intense and it's come a long way, but you know, he was a really sick person and the radiation was really painful and really hard on him. And so it was just, it was difficult to watch and difficult to support him through it, but it also gave our relationship a whole new place to to move from after that. Hey everyone, I wanted to thank one of our show sponsors and that is Yoga Glow. You know if you've been around here a while that I love yoga, but it is so hard for me to get to a yoga studio to practice. That is why Yoga Glow Online is the perfect solution for busy moms like me who are looking for versatility and simplicity in their yoga practice. When you visit Yoga Glow Online, you have access to 
thousands of classes from some of the very best instructors. They're streamed right onto your phone, your smartwatch, your computer. Yoga Glow is yoga for everyone. You can get your first two weeks of Yoga Glow for free when you sign up on yogaglow.com slash EMP. That's yogaglo.com slash EMP for two weeks free, yogaglow.com slash EMP. I have loved incorporating some of Yoga Glow's videos in my fitness routine, and I know that you will too. So check it out and get your two weeks for free at yogaglow.com slash EMP. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Julie Barron. Um, well, you know, he finished that treatment and then they wait about six months before they do some tests just to kind of see how well the treatment worked and have all of like the swelling and, and the healing take place so they can have some, some better information. And during that time, um, you know, our relationship kind of transitioned from being close friends who had gone through this really intense life experience together to kind of transitioning into something more. And I think both of us for a long time weren't sure about that because we had been friends Mm. for so long. And, you know, he was a sick person and that was a scary thing for me. Sure. And I I remember he, I kind of had an idea that he might have had romantic feelings for me. And I remember he took me out to dinner and he's just the sweetest man. And, you know, we had this kind of awkward conversation that wasn't typical of us. And I knew there was kind of something coming And on the walk home from dinner. You know, he told me how he felt and I just, I didn't know what to do mm-hmm. because it felt like such a big thing because it felt like, okay, we're moving this relationship out of the friendship box into this other space. And also because of his health issues and And so I remember, and it feels so crushing now, you know, to have said this, but I was like, you know, I think I just really enjoy being friends, you know, and I (laughs) I totally shut him down. He's like, I have cancer. You can't say that to a guy with cancer. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So we totally laugh about it now. Yeah. You know, and within like a couple of weeks, you know, I think we continued to have a conversation and then we just kind of decided to go out on that limb together. But the beauty of that has been, you know, I think when you're friends with someone first, and you've probably heard this from other people, you know, there's no hiding who you are in that mm-hmm. relationship. Like, it's very clear from the beginning who you are and what you bring to the table and, you know, the type of person that you are. And we had had all of those incredible conversations and gotten to know each other so well. And I'd gotten to know his family so well um, over that last, you know, six months or a year. And so by the time we started dating, you know, it, you know, it felt so serious so fast Mm, because, mm -hmm. you know, we had already been surviving something so big. Mm. It makes you really grow up really fast. Most 24 year olds are not dealing with that and foregoing what a typical early twenties existence would look like for the sake of, you know, sanitizing everything in the room Uh and wearing masks when necessary. And, that's a big ask, and I have no doubt yeah. that that time really showed your true colors to him. Of course he loved you. Yeah. <laughs> like, that just, yeah. it's that's really remarkable to me. That's really beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, and so after that, you know, he, at the end of the summer, he went back in for his six-month checkup, and he had said to me ahead of time, he's like, I just have a bad feeling about it. Mm. And um, when he went back in, he found out that the cancer, you know, wasn't, fully gone and so 
um, him and his family decided that what they would do is a second set of treatment and they would do an autologous stem cell transplant. Mm. And autologous means it's your own stem cells. Um, allergenic means it's a donor. Okay. And autologous means it's your own. And so that's, um, you know, it's a, it's a big thing to take on and it's a scary thing. And, you know, the good thing is if you can make it through that treatment, when you get on the other side, the prognosis is really amazing. Mm -hmm. And I'm really happy to say that we just celebrated um, this past September 10 years cancer free for him. Congratulations. That is a huge milestone, especially in the cancer world. Wow. Yep. Yeah, and they give it because like you reset your entire immune system. Like he had to get all of his vaccines again and all of those things. Like you're mm. like a brand new baby, oh, you know. So the nurses give you like a new birth date, and so we have like a special <laughs> Matthew 2.0 birthday party every year for his like new version of himself. Really? And, you know, we try to have fun with it and you know find ways to celebrate you wow. know the journey that we've been on. Wow. And ultimately you ended up getting married and, and I'm sure you envisioned having a family, but you knew maybe this would be more difficult because of his treatments and everything. Tell me about what what you kind of envisioned for your family and then what transpired as you kind of set out into that path. Sure. Sure. So yes, Matthew is definitely one of those people that like always knew he wanted to be a dad and you know, before he began his treatment, he definitely banked sperm, as was suggested by mm-hmm. his oncologist. But because of how sick he was at the time, um, when he got diagnosed, he was stage 2B, and, and he was just very sick. And so the quality of what he was able to bank, you know, wasn't great. Okay. And so we had it tested. Um, once we were married, we had it tested to kind of see what our options were. And it was pretty grim. You know, it didn't look great for us. And so um, both, you know, his sperm at the time, as well as the, the banked sperm that we had, neither were in great shape. And and that's pretty typical. I remember we went to a, an appointment together with his oncologist and she, you know, Matthew said to her, like, we were married and we were thinking about starting a family. And I remember her face just fell. And this doctor was, first of all, just such an incredible person throughout Matthew's treatment and really cared for Matthew like one of her own. Like Mm -hmm. they just had this really special relationship that you don't often see with a doctor. And she just really took a special liking to Matthew. And she, you could tell that it broke her heart to tell Matthew, you know, she was like, Oh, Matthew, like, you know, after having lived through the stem cell transplant, almost everyone is sterile afterwards and mm-hmm. we thought we had communicated that to you and and Matthew was like I don't remember anyone ever telling me that mm-hmm. and so it was just <clears throat> super heartbreaking for Matt at the time and and he thought like maybe this isn't going to happen for us or like what are our options and so we immediately started um down the path of IVF you know checking in with some IVF doctors in Chicago and because we lived in a big city, we had a lot of options available to us, and because the samples that we had to work from were small and weren't in great shape, IVF is really the smartest way to use what we had available to us. So um, we began down that road and met with doctors, and we're kind of figuring out if we could do it, if we wanted to do it, if we could afford it, because it's so expensive, and we got pregnant on our own. And Wow. It was, you know, we just were like, this is a miracle, you know, and we talked to Matthew's doctors and they're like, this is literally a one in a million chance. You are oh so my lucky, gosh. you know, and so we were just thrilled. And um, 
we went, you know, we went in for an initial ultrasound and an appointment with the doctor. Everything looked great. And when we went back in at 12 weeks, um, we found out that we had had a miscarriage and it was, of course, devastating for us. You know, we just thought this is our miracle baby. Like how could this have happened to us? You know, and, and I'm sure, you know, everyone feels that way when faced with news like that. But to us, it felt extra unfair at the time we thought, you know, how could we be given this gift just to have it taken away? Right. And, you know, I think we, that was a time in our lives where we really struggled for a little while to try to figure out how to make sense of it. And I think most of the time, Matthew and I are really good about perspective and about, about seeing the good in things. And for whatever reason, that experience, and I think some of that is the isolation that comes from a miscarriage. I think people are always like, don't tell anyone in case something happens. And people really discourage you from being open and talking about it. And I, I think that's such a disservice to women because it really keeps you from being able to be comforted or understood or have a, the space to talk about something. Yeah. And so at that time, you know, we just were really unsure of where to go next. We thought, will this happen every time? Like, could this be an issue with like genetic, you know, mm-hmm. issues at this point because of his treatment? And we didn't really know what to do. And so we talked with the IBS doctors again, and they said, you know what, because you were able to get pregnant spontaneously, try again for six months. And if nothing happens, then come back and and we'll continue down the path that we were before. And so we kind of cautiously, optimistically said, okay, you know, let's just take the pressure off of ourselves. Let's just see what happens and not make ourselves crazy about it, but just, you know, try and and see what, what, what can happen. And so, um, two months later, we found ourselves pregnant again, and it was a scary time, but an exciting time, and um, that is our daughter, Eleanor, and so we were so lucky to have her, and um, when Eleanor was, let's see, maybe five or six months old, it was a Sunday morning, and we got a call, and, or Matthew got a call, and right away, I could tell it was bad news, and I, I didn't really know what it was, and you know, he had this long conversation with someone and, and he got off the phone and he said, the, um, electricity and the backup generator at the place where our sperm is being banked failed. And so the samples aren't good anymore. Oh, and so it's that we quota like, oh thing again. Gosh, <laughs> right. yeah. Come like, on. Oh my gosh. How did this happen? Yeah. And oh, so devastating. We're like, well, we have Eleanor and she's here with us. And, you know, even if that's all we ever have, we're so lucky to have her, you know. And, you know, it just broke my heart too, thinking about all those other families, mm. you know, that also had, sorry, I'm getting emotional, um, you know, that also lost something that day. Right. Because, you know, clearly we weren't the only ones that had something banked in that sperm bank so you know just heartbreaking just never a good way to break in for a sponsor when someone's telling a story like that. But I did want to acknowledge our second sponsor, which is RX Bar. RX Bar is a whole food protein bar that has been the best solution for my kids ever because not only do they have delicious protein bars for adults, they also have kids flavors. 
delicious. Chocolate chip, apple cinnamon raisin, and berry blast are all a total hit in our home. You know why I love RX Bar? Because I'm not afraid of the ingredients that are put into these bars. Like so many other granola bars and protein bars that are chock full of words that you cannot pronounce, RX Bar lists out all their ingredients right on the front, based with egg whites, fruit, and nuts. RX Bar Kids contains seven grams of protein so that I can feel good whether my kids are sneaking one for breakfast, getting one for a snack, or I just put them in their lunch boxes, they are happy campers. And of course, Jackson with the ring of chocolate around his mouth from the chocolate chip flavor, he is loving these RX bars, and I am too. You can find RX bars at Target stores or for 25% off your very first order, visit rxbar.com EMP and use the promo code EMP at checkout. Thank you so much, RX Bar, for sponsoring the show. Now let's get back to the rest of my amazing conversation with Julie. Anyway, when Eleanor was um, just about a year old, we're like, okay, well, let's just start trying again and see what could happen. Like, this all happened so crazy the first time. We have no expectations for what might happen again. And so we decided to try for another baby and got pregnant immediately. And that's our sweet little Josephine. Oh, my gosh. So we just were like this, you know, that's where you can look at your life and say, okay, there's been a lot of bumps in the roads, but look at all the blessings that we have, you know. Mm -hmm. So after after Josephine was born, we we really just just couldn't decide, you know, are we done? We've been given this amazing gift. Like, do we just stop here and enjoy the children that we have? Do we want a third? And we struggled probably for three years trying to decide if we wanted a third baby. And we eventually, we we tried and it didn't happen. And we were like, okay, maybe this is just a sign from the universe that, you know, we should kind of stay where we are and just enjoy our family. And um, I remember we went out and bought a brand new car for a four person family. And (laughs) three days later we found out I was so, it's like getting so rid of guess, all your baby gear too. Everyone gives away the baby gear and then they get pregnant. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Exactly. And so, yeah, that's our last little guy, Benedict. And he's for sure the last. Okay. Um, <laughs> no new cars. No more. Yep. Um, but yeah, so we're so lucky that he is here with us now. So um, despite the crazy odds, we have a beautiful family that we were able to have on our own and we feel very lucky. And how did that difficulty in getting them all here and that uncertainty of how large your family would be, how that would come about, were they sitting in a sperm bank somewhere waiting to come to fruition or were they just always meant to come this way? You know, how do you kind of wrap your mind around that and how does it change your appreciation and your perspective on what you have in front of you today? That's a great question. You know, I think every mother and father is – just overwhelmed with gratitude when their children arrive here on earth. But um, I, I definitely have felt like such a deep sense of thankfulness and joy in my children, mm. you know, and I think one beautiful thing about the perspective we have is that you can kind of reset and rise up above the little things a lot more easily. Mm-hmm. You know, when things are going your way, you can, you can kind of look at it and say, you know what, in the grand scheme of things, we're so lucky to be here. Now, that doesn't mean that on a Thursday night when everybody's cranky and dinner's not on the table and everybody's lost their temper that you aren't like, oh, my gosh, I just need a nap. (laughs) But, you know, I think we have taken things in stride so much more easily, and it's set us up for 
getting through other hard things that have come our way so much more easily because we already have weathered so many storms together and because we know we're such a good team. Mm. And, you know, one of the, the hallmarks, I think, of my relationship with Matthew is our ability to communicate really well. And I think that's because we were such good friends first and we talked about everything and we never hid anything from each other. And, you know, there was no presenting this best version of yourself on a first date, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, it is what it is, you know. And so I think we've always been really honest about our feelings about what we're afraid of and, you know, what we want and what direction we're going in and, and how we can course correct. And Matthew has always been such a touchstone of positivity and presence for me. You know, he's very anchored in the present moment and very good at seeing things for what they are and finding the joy in them and really bringing all of us back to that same place. Mm. You do sound like a great team. You're really lucky to have someone so supportive, but but yeah. you showed your colors in, in being that supportive for, to him as well in the past, and you've just continued that no matter what life has thrown at you. You yeah. have, you've been able to do that as a team, and I think that is yeah. a great way to go into it. When you feel isolated and alone, you know, yeah. you only have so much strength, but when you have that right. person beside you – and you were really dealt another curveball during your third pregnancy. I mean, yeah. seriously? <laughs> I can't even imagine. Tell me, yeah. how did all this transpire? Tell everyone what I'm yeah. talking about. So this third pregnancy was a dream. Um, you know, I found out I was pregnant, and it took me a minute to kind of recalibrate. Because as I said, we had kind of like closed yeah. that chapter. So it took me a minute to kind of catch back up and be like, okay, this is good. This is happening. You know, we're a family of five, you know, and with my first two pregnancies with the girls, um, I was so sick with them and really struggled that first, probably half of the pregnancy with each of them. And with this, with this pregnancy, I felt amazing. The Mm -hmm. best I had ever felt in my life, like even better than when I wasn't pregnant. Wow. And (laughs) like just awesome. I had so much energy. I felt great. Um, you know, I just had no complaints. I felt really good. And just, I felt beautiful. I felt energized, you know, just all the things. Mm. And so of course I was like, maybe this one's a boy. Uh, But also, (laughs) you know, I just wouldn't have expected what transpired to happen. So um, we went in, you know, I was 35 at the time. Actually, I am still 35. I'm bad at math here. Um, but I was 35. It's been so a long I, year. It's I, been a very long year. Exactly. Um, but since I'm quote unquote advanced maternal age, you know, they recommend that you do genetic testing. And so I had I had that done earlier in the pregnancy. So we did find out on the early side that we were having a son, um, which was really exciting. Um, and, and everything had come back clear, you know. So we weren't expecting any surprises when we went to the ultrasound. And because our girls are, are old enough and, and we knew this would be the last baby we were going to have, we thought it would be really fun to bring them along to let them see the baby on the ultrasound. So we came, we went as a family. And when I, when I went in, I mentioned to the radiologist, the ultrasound tech, that um, in previous pregnancies, um, they had seen some small fibroids on my uterus and I just didn't want her to be alarmed. And she was like, Oh, okay. And so she starts, you know, looking all around and she's like, you know, I'm, I'm not seeing any. 
And I was like, oh, that's weird. I'm like, well, I don't know how that works. Like, maybe they get reabsorbed or they can go away. And she was like, let me go grab your file from last time. And she leaves the room and was kind of gone a long time and came back and then looked and looked and looked. And she was like, you know, I'm just not not seeing them. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah, it is what it is. Like, just didn't even think anything more of it. And, you know, we went through everything else. She showed the girls all the little things about the baby. And he was hopping around on the screen and being so cute and you know she showed us like his heart looked great and all the different features and you know it was a fun appointment and the girls had a great time and you know my husband went back to work and I went home and it was the end of the day and I walked in the door and and we live probably 20-25 minutes from the doctor's office and my phone rang and it was um, the nurse from my doctor's office and she's like you know your doctor would like to um speak with you about the results of your ultrasound, which alarm bells went off in my head because usually that's not a good thing. It's kind of like no news is good news. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay. You know, like, do you want to connect me with the scheduler? And she's like, no, she'd like for you to come back right now and please bring your spouse. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, like that can't be good news. And you're thinking it's about the baby, right? Right. Right. Like, yeah. Like, I mean, this was an appointment for the baby, not for right. me. Right. Right. You know? Okay. And so I panic and call my husband at work and I'm like, you know, can you come here and pick me up? I don't think we should drive separately because I don't know what we're going to find out. And having had a miscarriage in the past, you know, you know what it's like to go and receive bad news at the doctor's office. Um, and that was, that's what I kept saying to my husband in the car and the drive over. I'm like, but the baby looks amazing. And you know, the ultrasound tech didn't let on to anything. Like, having had a miscarriage, like, the ultrasound tech was very clear that things weren't going well in the appointment, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I was, like, just really shocked, you know? And my husband was just silent. You know, he's like, you know, Jules, we're going to find out when we get there. You know? And he's just, like, didn't want to speculate. And, you know, I guess he had an inkling of what was to come, you know, having been down that road himself. But, um, we walk in, and the office had closed they like the doctor stayed after hours to talk to me there was no one there it was dark you know we knock on the door and they let us in and we go and sit down in her office and I'm so grateful that she immediately like she didn't mince words we sat down and she was like obviously you're here because something serious is happening she's like first of all the baby is fine which I was so glad to hear that Mm -hmm. and then obviously it makes you you know move forward into understanding you know that obviously there was something wrong with me instead. And she's like, you know, what we did find though was a very large mass on Julie's kidney, on my kidneys. So uh, it was 13 centimeters. Um, It's basically the size of a brick, if you think about it, um, (sighs) length, width, and height. Okay. How can you Um, feel okay? Because I just don't understand. How can you feel okay with this large Exactly. Mass inside of you. Right. You had and, no idea. And so I was just, right. So <sighs> she tells me this and I'm like, well, it must be like benign then or something, you know, or right. maybe it's like a crazy fibroid on steroids, you know, yeah. like, yeah. I'm just like, this, this must be a mistake, you know, or it's the wrong file, you know, like your brain does all those tricks, right. Yeah. To try to like help you make sense of it. Because I was just like, same thing. I was like, I feel amazing. There's no way I have cancer right. because when Matthew had cancer, he was a sick person. He had been sick, and we just thought he couldn't get over the flu. And, like, it was a matter of determining what was wrong with him when he got diagnosed. Right. And I wasn't a sick person. I felt so good. And so I was like, this, there must be something wrong, or it must just be benign. And it's just one of those random things, you know? Yeah. And so 
my my doctor, you know, pulled a bunch of strings and got me connected with um, some amazing doctors at the university here in town. And, and I live in a college town, so we have a big university hospital that's incredible, um, which I'm so grateful for. Yeah. And, you know, from that day at the ultrasound to the day of my surgery was three weeks. They, like, pulled every string possible to um, take care of me because, you know, I was in a really delicate space. You know, I was pregnant. Um, and there's a really small window of time that they can do anything about it. You know, you can't, if it's too early in your pregnancy, the chance of miscarriage is really high. If it's too far into your pregnancy, the chance of preterm labor is really high. And so we really, we really only had about three weeks to figure out what we were going to do and to have surgery if we were going to. And so, um, yeah, this past August, I had surgery, and they removed my left kidney and the tumor, and um, I'm cancer-free now. So I keep telling people, I'm like, I only had cancer for three weeks. It's no problem. <laughs> oh, Julie. so much easier. <laughs> oh, Julie. Holy cow. And so, yeah, there is a small window. So while you're pregnant, they go in, they remove yep. your kidney and the tumor, yep. the very large, yep. large tumor, was, yeah. and that was, it was a cancerous tumor. It, it just came hadn't back spread. As, yep, renal wow. cell carcinoma. What? And um, uh, wow. I was stage one because it was fully encapsulated. Okay. You know, it hadn't grown into anything in surrounding tissues. It hadn't grown into any of the fatty tissue or the vascular tissue of the kidney. So okay. it was it was best, absolutely best case scenario. The only sure. thing that could have been better was if it were benign, but the very right. best case scenario for the type of cancer I had. Wow. That is a lot to wrap your mind around. So how did you feel after you had the surgery? You find out it's cancer, but then you know that it's out of your body. You're healing from a major surgery. How did you feel at that point carrying on with the rest of your pregnancy? Did you have new concerns or were you just grateful? I mean, what is that like? Well, I had a lot of emotional whiplash, I think, from what was happening, you Mm -hmm. know, one of the things that I feel like I've been on a journey just this last year, way before this even happened, is just like a spiritual journey. Like I'm a religious person and I grew up Catholic and I'm a practicing Catholic now, but just a spiritual journey of really like understanding myself better and, and really connecting to things. And the night that I found out, you know, about the mass, you know, after the ultrasound, of course, you know, you're a young mom and your your mind goes to the worst place. Like, yeah. I want to live to see my kids grow up, right? Right. Um, and so I went home and I lay there in bed and I, of course, couldn't fall asleep. And I said, you know, the one thing that I can do is control what what thoughts are in my mind and and how I feel. And so I sat there and I wrote out affirmations in the notes app on my phone. You know, my body is a safe place. My kidneys work to my highest good. You know, all these things Hmm. to reassure myself that everything was going to be okay. And then for those three weeks and, and the time afterwards too, anytime I would kind of slip into one of those fear spirals, I would just stop everything I was doing. And I would say them out loud or read them or do whatever I had to until my brain kind of refocused. And I just, I just believed that I was going to be okay. You know, I just was like, you know what, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to have surgery. 
we're going to remove it and it's going to be fine and I'm going to be fine. Mm. You know, and I really, I think the only, obviously that first night was hard, but the only other night, the only other day that I really struggled was the day before or the morning of, um, the appointment where I went to find out what the exact situation was. So I had had a bunch of tests done. I had met with an oncologist and a surgeon and I was coming back to find out like, had it spread through my body? Were there any other issues? Like what's our treatment plan going to be? And I remember probably for like an hour or two that morning before I went in, I was really struggling because I just was afraid. Um, but beyond that, I felt through the entire course of it so wrapped in just like love and light and goodness. Mm. And I felt, it sounds crazy to say it, but I really felt safe. I felt protected mm. and I felt so sure that I was going to be okay. Mm. That gives me the chills. Wow. Yeah. That is and a I remarkable felt, piece. Maybe it was going to yeah. be okay. Yeah. You know, I just was like, this is, this is going to work out. Like we're going to be yeah. okay because we're meant to be okay. Yeah. That is a piece that passeth understanding, isn't it? Wowie. Yeah. Ooh. So how would you say, and would you say that your husband's cancer journey and you walking through that with him years prior, and then this diagnosis where he understood the drive to the doctor's office yeah. for hard news, yeah. he understood yeah going through surgery he understood those hard milestones how would you say that equipped you for this last August and these last few months um for both of you as a team and you individually I think it just made us feel so confident that we could get through it yeah you know I think part of the scariness when you're first diagnosed with cancer is you don't know what to expect right you don't know how hard it's going to be you don't know like what kind of strain it might put on your relationship or your family or all of those things. And we had done that already. You know, we hadn't been married at the time and we didn't have kids, but we were the same people and and we had helped each other through it before. So I I knew we could help each other through it again. Um, And when Matthew was going through treatment, you know, he was a young enough person that his family, and I guess his family probably would have been involved at, at any point in his life, but, you know, his family really took on, the lion's share of the caretaking from the sense of they met with all the doctors with him. They helped make sure the treatment plan was figured out. They took care of all of the insurance stuff. You know, his parents really took care of that. And, and I really just served as this spot of sunshine and levity and just positive outlook for him, you know? And, and I think that that's also informed how I responded when I got cancer. You know, I didn't go to the deepest, darkest places because I hadn't done that with Matthew either. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I always believed that Matthew was going to get well because I was like, he's young and healthy and he can fight really hard, you know? So I never expected the worst for him. And so I never expected the worst for me either, truthfully. Sure, yeah. You get scared and you have moments of being scared, but I never believed that it wouldn't work out for me. Well, and I just think that mind over matter belief can really carry through a lot of things. Like that mind-body connection is so huge. And sure, there are things that are are beyond our control. But when you go into it really believing, this is going to be fine. Like I, my kidneys will be strong. The kidney I have remaining will be strong. And, you know, whatever happens, my desire is to watch my kids grow up. 
here I go. Right. Like, what do I need to do to accomplish yeah. this? And, and what's you the did worst, it. What's the worst case scenario, even if that doesn't happen? At least you're able to tr- truly enjoy and be present in the time mm. that you have, you mm. know, rather yeah. than being depressed and angry and frustrated and mad. Like, that does that's not helpful, No, at least for me, you no. know? And not that there's anything wrong with those emotions, because I honor that, and I think that those are valid for anyone, no matter where they are, like, their journey is their own. But, you know, for me... I can't move forward with those lower vibrating emotions. Yeah. You know, yeah those yeah. hold me back. Right. And it's fine to temporarily experience them. But when that becomes your sure. new normal, that changes yeah. your story. It really does. Right. It changes your story and how you're choosing to write it out. Wow. Yeah. You are, I mean, it just, it just, your story blows me away. But really, it's your attitude and um, just your perspective that's just so inspiring that you have you your belief has really carried you through that that good things yeah. are ahead and that you can do things and that can be true for any of us you don't have to face a huge Absolutely. diagnosis or something right. scary like that to be like today i'm going to believe that good things are in my future any of us can sit right. from where we are and believe that right. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. oh man so what would you say is the biggest lesson that you've learned in this whole this whole story up to the point where you are now, how has it changed you the most as a person? I would just say that it has taught me so much that mindset is everything, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. that everything starts there. The mind arrives first. Right. Ah. And so I now work so hard to cultivate my mindset and how I feel because I know that I can draw outcomes to me based on, based on that, you know, Mm -hmm. that, it's like, you know, the law of attraction, right? You know, you, if you're thinking about buying a new car and you're looking for it, you know, on all the car lots and then you're out driving, you see that car everywhere. There's not more of that car all of a sudden. You're just looking you're just for more it. aware mm-hmm, of it. Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing here, you know, the more that I choose to be positive and look for positive things and believe in the best outcomes and believe in the best things for myself and the people I love and for everyone the more that that's going to happen and the more that that's what I see no matter what else is happening, Mm. you know, the more that like my mind focuses on the good and that you really do, you rewire, rewire those neural pathways in your brain to find the good things instead of to fix the problems and find what's not working. You know, you really help your, your brain and your body choose to find the positivity and that's going to help your health and it's going to help your your positivity and it's going to just make your life more enjoyable. Right. Just your day to day with that mindset. Yeah. yeah so powerful. Yeah. And what is the lesson that's taken you the longest to learn? Or, perhaps, or maybe something that you're think, still learning? Yeah. I think it's just giving myself grace. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I think recognizing that it's okay to ask for help and that I don't have to do all of the things and, you know, it. it sometimes can take something big like that to finally let people in in a certain way you know like yeah, I'm yeah. not really great at asking for help and people offered so much help you know and offered to clean our house and pick our kids up from school and do all of these things and you know I, I came from this place of not wanting to inconvenience anyone or not wanting to seem like I needed help and then I realized what's the point of that like it makes them feel so good to be able to serve and care for me. And it takes something off of my plate that I really can't do anyway. And just recognizing that community takes so many forms and Mm -hmm. it's okay to accept help and to ask for help. 
Well, yeah. And when you genuinely are seeking to serve somebody else who's in a hard spot, would you want them saying no and like denying you that privilege of offering that to them when you genuinely want to? No. When you think of it from that perspective, it's like, well, yes, sure. Come clean my house. (laughs) That makes, because I would, I would do the same for you. And that's where the two-way friendship comes in. And those relationships are so key. Oh man. Absolutely. Julie, this has been such a real honor getting to hear your story. I just want to thank you for being so vulnerable and and sharing sure. that so that we can learn from your stories and your lessons. And I'm so glad for the three precious babies that you've had and for, for all the good that's ahead because you will you will make it so because that's what you're looking for in your life. And no matter what, what comes your way, that you'll have the power to, to overcome anything. I always ask my guests one final question, yeah. and it's yeah. this one. And if you've listened, you know. What would you tell yep. your pre-motherhood self? You know, I think I would just tell that girl, you know, that the pendulum swings both ways and that even though there's going to be hard times, they're going to make way for amazing, incredible times. And and that the way that I'll be forced to grow will be one of my greatest accomplishments. <laughs> and so to not be afraid of them. Yeah. Oh, man. Julie, you are truly an extraordinary person, an extraordinary mom. Thank you so much for sharing today. Where can people find you online if they want to follow along with your journey? Uh, sure. Um, my Instagram handle is at rcozynook. I love that. Um, yeah, and it's about my family, and I have a little wellness business um, that's connected to that, too. And I have a website with the same address, so I can that to you to put in the show notes if yep. you want but yeah um, that'll all be at extraordinarymomspodcast.com thank you julie thanks for taking the time and i just wish the very best for you and your family thank you so much jessica i loved having a chance to chat with you today have a great great day how much do you love julie <laughs> i could have talked to her for so much longer and i had so many more questions as well but her story is remarkable but it is the way she has approached every new chapter of her story and every additional hurdle she's had to overcome. She has done it through her positivity, through her hope, through her determination. And we all have that same power within us, regardless of what our life looks like. So thank you so much for sharing your story, Julie. You are an extraordinary mom and I'm so glad to know you. And I'm glad we have that Michigan tie in common. Go blue. Like we said, everything we talked about today will be over at ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com. Did you know you can actually listen to episodes over there and go back into the archives and look at past episodes, past show notes, past photos, and see a cute picture of her new baby Benedict. Oh, he's so darling. Love it so much. You can follow me on Instagram if you don't already at JessicaDalkwas3. I'm over on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. And like I said, our website is ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com. Thank you so much for tuning in and for sharing the show, for being subscribed so you never miss an episode. This Friday, I have a book club episode for you. You may remember Jamie Ivey. She is one of the hosts of my very favorite podcast, The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. And she came on as a guest a few months ago and shared her motherhood journey. And she just came out with a new book, If You Only Knew. I just finished reading it and it is such a powerful book all about her life story and the things that she felt like if people only knew the backstory, they wouldn't believe this about her or they would think this about her. And we all have those things in our past, right? That if people really knew the true story or the real us, 
that they would think something different about us. And that shame and that stigma is so limiting. And so this book goes first where she shares her life story in hopes that it will give others the permission to be more confident in their stories and the redeeming work that can be done through God alone, regardless of where we have been in our life. So we're going to talk all about the book writing process, about sharing these vulnerable stories, and about what she's learned from other women as they have shared back with her. It's going to be a really great, great book club episode that I hope you will check out. So thanks for tuning into the podcast today, and we'll see you next week for another episode with another extraordinary mom. Bye.